The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Before any of that, we're going to kick things off with our afternoon update, as we do uh, every day, uh, catching you up on all that has happened today, uh, all the stories that matter most. And joining me for the afternoon update uh, today is Brianna Parkins, the Irish Times columnist, and John Lee, the uh, editor, uh, executive editor with the Daily Mail Group in Ireland. Uh, you're both very welcome. Good evening. Uh, folks, we're beyond the Happy New Year stage. We've <laughs> decided that at the weekend. No all right. More. Yeah, okay. so, sorry, John, I hate to break it to you. I just said Happy New Year to Brianna. I have to withdraw that. So. Yeah. I, she, did, did you accept? Did you I say it back? It. Look, the New Year doesn't start until March. I, I firmly believe okay. we need three months to ease ourselves in. I think it's also really depressing we pull down Christmas trees on the 6th. No, January's grim. Leave them up. We need the small comfort a twinkly light will give us oh, in this dark period. My Christmas tree was well past its celebrate date on the 6th, I can tell you that. You know, when you're sitting there watching telly and you hear these balls hitting the ground. The, well, I the, shared the Palomai, we used to leave it up till June. Oh my gosh. We were young, may, we were young men. At that point, you may as well leave, you're as close to next Christmas. It could well have made August one year, I think, but there you go. Um, listen, I mentioned Stephen Donnelly, uh, John. So he, he was kind of reporting these figures back to Cabinet today, a reduction in, in hospital waiting lists um, in, in line with their targets that he set out, targets he would have set out this time last year. The other thing discussed at Cabinet today and signed off is this kind of fairly dramatic reduction in financial supports to Ukrainian refugees. Well, this had been um, this had been well flagged that they would do it and delayed, and the delay in doing it wasn't really explained, bar the political um, fear of shooting Bambi, is, is what we described it as in a quote from a minister, not to be being facetious about it. But when I broke a story on it, um, that was one of the lines a cabinet minister had used when discussing it with me. What has happened here? I I don't think the government would want in any way to be seen to be allied with those um, uh, reprehensible um, groups that are are trying to intimidate uh, refugees coming into this country or, or less reprehensible groups who are casting, um, uh, I suppose, adequate scepticism on, on, our, our, on our immigration policy. What was done here was a mistake. They admitted uh, your, uh, Ukrainian refugees into Ireland at the behest of the EU when everyone was was given at the outset of the war by the EU a, a quota somewhat to, to, to admit people into Ireland. They used the wrong legislation. The legislation said it was a 2015 boutique legislation that was designed for Syrian refugees, which um, granted full social welfare um, to Ukrainian refugees on a par with Irish citizens. Now that mm-hmm. was a mistake. It cost an awful lot of money. People regularly seeking asylum here do not get that uh, benefit. They get accommodation and they get uh, a, a vastly reduced payment. And in other countries around Europe, that has been the case as well. We've been something of an outlier. And uh, Leo Varadkar pointed out in the, in the Daw before Christmas that over 30% of Ukrainian refugees have come here as a third country destination, which indicated what he described as a pull power. So this is an, eff- an effort to reduce that pull power. They've also moved though, all, on, on accommodation and the accommodation problem so in some European countries is, mer- is mirrored. But here is a particular issue because we don't have enough housing for our own population, never mind um, people coming from war-torn countries. Brianna, do you interpret this as a, as a changing of mood music, as a recognition that they got this wrong at the outset? I mean, 
I've covered asylum seekers and how they've been dealt with for, for many years and often from hardline countries like America, like Australia. And I have to admit, I watched this, the way the Irish government handled it, sort of looking through my fingers, uh, very apprehensive. And I think there is now a, a juncture where we have to decide, okay, as a country, what do we want to be perceived as and what do we actually have the resources to give? I mean, the whole debacle with relying on private citizens to offer up second home holiday homes and administering it through the Red Cross, a charity, you know, outsourcing a really important task to an under, under-resourced charity, complete disaster. You know, people reported that they tried to contact the government. They got no response back. It was just a disaster from the get-go. So I think it's really interesting that when you want to stop asylum seekers or you want to reduce the number of asylum seekers coming to your country, um, countries generally do one of two things. They reduce what's on offer to try and make it look less attractive to come mm. or they start ramping up um, you know, methods of intercepting people before they can claim asylum because it's a legal right to claim asylum. Um, so that's when you see you know, countries like Australia intercepting ships, dragging them off. You also see uh, things happen in, in airport spaces, which are sort of these really interesting geopolitical spaces. They're not actually, some of them, parts of the airport are not considered grounds of that country until you pass a certain part of immigration. So you can't claim asylum until you've reached um, gone past immigration and customs and have a valid visa. I don't think Ireland has the tools to do that. We don't really have a large border force or an immigration force. So we have to start then. If they want to reduce the numbers coming in, they're going to have to make it look like a less attractive prospect to come. John, um, in the future, do we need those tools? I mean, the, the optics will be that it's kind of seen as a, as a crackdown on on you know, so-called illegal immigration. That's how it would be described. But I mean, if, if we're going to live in a world where there are going to be larger masses of people moving as a consequence of conflicts like we've seen or as a consequence of climate change, I mean, uh, is the lesson of the last couple of years that the government do need to equip the state with the means to manage all of this better? Well, on a personal level, not that it means anything um, in, the, in, the gra- in the greater context, you know, I, I, I sometimes um, raise my eyebrows at people who say, oh, these are economic refugees or these are ec- people seeking as a distinction from asylum. Ireland is one of the most underpopulated countries in the world and we are also one of the most wealthy. So we can't expect that we won't have an influx of people in, in, into Ireland in the, in the coming years. We need them. And, but also, I'm just back from the United States where, you know, conversations with, in the heartland as well as, well as um, tourist destinations were all about immigration. Uh, in Europe, it's all about immigration. With the rise of the far right, issues that were considered the far right 10 years ago are now mainstream in Europe. So this is going to be the year not only of elections, but it's going to be the year of immigration. And Ireland can't just expect that we can go along um, maintaining our, our our reputation, we feel as as having open borders and welcome all without some kind of proper uh, policy. And as Brianna pointed out, there there hasn't been thus far <clears throat> when it came to Ukrainian refugees. There was a washing of the hands. We saw a very public disagreement at cabinet about who who the hell was responsible for admitting uh, um, uh, refugees. It was all thrown in the hands of 
of uh, Roderick O'Gorman as Minister for Integration. I think when he got that integration aspect of his children's portfolio, he might have just thought it was an add-on until a war happened in Ukraine. Mm. The Departments of Housing and the Departments of Justice are... already published a white paper with plans for kind of uh, three new reception centres. He he was doing something. No, no, I'm not saying... Sorry, I wasn't saying he wasn't doing something. I think think he may have been landed on him without full consideration of what he was receiving. Yes, Whereas the Department of Justice is the the intercept... um, Department for people arriving in this country and housing is responsible for housing. So I think an awful lot has been thrown on his doorstep where his department may not have had the resources or the expectation that they'd be dealing with up to 100,000 refugees coming from a war-torn country and deserving of help. And then there is a massive, massive movement of people from Africa towards Europe, which Ireland can't expect itself to be um, r- rising above or not having to deal with it in the way mm. Southern European countries are. But, you know, we see images coming from Europe, um, from Italy today, for instance, where the Nazi salute has been, has been used in recent times. We see Marie Le Pen um, lashing ahead in the polls in Europe, uh, in France, ahead of um, uh, President Macron. As I say, these issues are live in the European continent. Uh, these issues are live with the EU and we have to get a proper proper hold of things and it seems to be getting yeah. out of hand. I, we, we, actually, we might Here. segue then to, to France, um, Brianna, because uh, Emmanuel Macron has appointed a new Prime Minister, the youngest Prime Minister in the history of France, 34 years old. I'm going to ruin the pronunciation okay. of Okay, go, go for it. I, you notice I no, avoided no, no. saying I'm it. I'm going to say it in my Australian accent. It's Gabrielle Attal. Attal? Attal. I, it's Attal, but I can't say it the way the French would. So I'm not mispronouncing it. I just can't get my vowels around it, guys. Um, he is the youngest and first openly gay Prime Minister. He was the former um, education minister and it's believed he's been appointed because they're trying to make a fresh start with the EU elections coming up in June and they're trying to sort of move away from the unpopular pension and immigration reforms that centrist party brought in. Remember this party is trailing, their party is trailing behind Marine Le Pen's far right by about 8 to 10% depending on which opinion poll you're looking at. So I think it's an attempt to make a bit of a fresh start. Uh, It's also John though uh, kind of an attempt to maybe steal some of the thunder of Marine Le Pen because amongst other things, uh, when he was the education secretary and minister, however they described them, uh, within the French cabinet, he banned the wearing of Muslim headdress in public schools. Yes, there is a there is a significant culture war in in France. Immigration uh, has been again in that country at the forefront of their culture wars, if, if you choose to describe it that way. And Marie Le Pen has softened her uh, position somewhat, but she's leading going into the European elections a. A good result for her um, far right um, party, um, right right party, would be a blow to Macron. Macron is down at twenty seven percent now in popularity, an historic low for him. And uh, they had um, they had uh, huge demonstrations there during the year to do with immigration and to do with pension reform. There, pension reform that seemed rather extraordinary here that the retirement age was raised from sixty two to sixty four, but the French did not like that. Um, but this man, they say in the Financial Times, for instance, is dripping with charisma and uh, uh, Macron would hope that some of that would, would rub off on him and, and we'll see. Um, I had never felt before now that the power really lay anywhere else <coughs> in France um, other than with the president. But th- they are operating a minority government at the moment. They don't have the votes in the in the, in the National Assembly. So this this um, man, Gabriel Attel, uh, I'm not sure again how to pronounce it, will be seen as something of a chief whip there and keep keep, keep their keep his legislative programme on track. 
we'll all be accused of being francophobes. I'm not even going to try and pronounce it. But uh, Charles Michel, President of the European Council, there was mention of upcoming European elections, Brianna, and he is going to run in those elections, which means his job becomes vacant. Mm-hmm. And already the Taoiseach and the Taunashta, their names have been linked to it. A little bit tenuously, might I suggest. I mean, I'd be really surprised if Varadka prevailed because he's been so vocal on how what he sees as a really soft touch from the EU and their response to the, the conflict um, currently ongoing between Palestine and Israel. I mean, we have to understand that Ireland is, is different, uh, not just in Europe, but in compared to many other countries to... In their sort of uh, complete condemnation of Israel, that is a very rare beast. Uh, So I think he would be very at odds with his colleagues on that council, and I don't see other nations going for that. Um, I'm not sure that he did outrightly condemn um, Israel. He was early in the day saying that he expected a a robust response from Israel. The Irish government has not been... um, Initially was an outlier, but I think a lot of uh, the Western world has come back to our stance that they would prefer that there wasn't um, the level of of uh, warfare coming. Perception is reality, though. And to Um, Brianna's point, there there would be... um, political consequences because of that perception, would there? I don't know. I don't know. You know, it won't be a decision necessarily made um, at EU commission level. I think think the Irish candidates, should they choose to put themselves forward and have contacts in Brussels. more realistic candidate? Because I I, I understand and you would understand the politics more than me. I mean, while um, Ursula von der Leyen is is commission president, it's unlikely Leo Varadkar would be made... Council presidents. I, I, I don't know. A lot of it will come down to the groupings. They're in separate groupings in Europe and how they do in the European elections. But they will want a candidate prior to that. But I would go back a little further that we are best boy in class when it came to Brexit. We were at the forefront of it. We were at the we were at the coalface in some ways and that we were the ones who were most threatened by it. And, and Leo Varadkar and Micheál Martin led a very, very robust response to Bre- the, the decision to, to hold a Brexit and all the negotiations went, that went along with it and they're both well got. Then it comes down to who would want to go for it. I think Leo Varadkar, no matter what anyone says, is looking at a very, very bad general election here. Very bad. He's lost a quarter of his parliamentary party standing in the next one. The figures are not, are not good. Mihal um, Martin is the most popular uh, leader in the country in, in current polling. And I'd say... If, of the two men who wants to lead their party into the general election, it's 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 Micheál Martin. I'd say Leo Varadkar ultimately is looking at an exit from domestic politics mm. in the next two or three years and this might be the way out. All right. Uh, domestic politics then, Brianna, uh, before we wrap things up. Uh, public sector pay talks. We we're told the deadline was absolutely firmly the end of 2023. Yet here we are in 2024. It ongoing. Has, it has been extended. Um, there is, well, you've got over 300,000 jobs at stake and there, there's people across from guards, teachers, nurses. And we know that Pascal has come out and said that, look, he will not be intimidated by any threats of industrial action, um, which is, you know, something that employers always say uh, from the outright, they won't be bullied into anything. But that's uh, a really big gamble to take. Um, So these are accords looking at now, the unions already had a union, uh, an early win, 
with the government agreeing to revise um, so those revisions that were put in after the financial crisis that limited pay caps, which had really, really been the, the thorn in the union side and the worker side for a long time. Um, but now the negotiations will turn back to inflation because usually you want a pay increase that matches inflation. But the inflation uh, levels have been all over the place. We've seen mm. market increases, but we're also looking at a 3% drop this year. So how do you set that for a multi-year deal that will be a fair fair to both sides? Uh, John, there's less, there, there's not a huge amount of, I would say, um, broad buy-in or interest in these types of talks until you get down to the kind of the, the brass tacks. No, but I think, fair? I think, no, there isn't. And I think it's it's undeniable, undeniable that uh, whatever the rate of inflation is or whatever else, there, there's been a rise in the, co- in the yeah. cost of living. And I'm sure um, anyone who's gone into their boss in the coming months looking for a few bob will not be citing it as a pay rise. They'll be citing it as keeping track with the with with level i don't perceive there there will be anything other than a than a than a than a peaceful resolution to this because again okay. everything everything will be will be factored on on elections the government is not going to want industrial strife going into the next general election and let's not forget we've had 10 years of of, of industrial peace we've been relatively an industrially peaceful country uh, over the last 20 years despite everything else that has happened compared for instance to Britain yeah. so uh, I think it'll, they'll get a few bob and everyone go home happy The pair of you may be unrepentant francophobes but one of our listeners says it's Gabriel Atal the two A's are pronounced ah like oh, ah just so Atal so Gabriel Atal Jim says your contributor said we're a rich country if we're rich we'd have a functioning hospital and medical system a nationwide transport services proper schools etc etc we've none of the above in effect, we're really a developing nation with first world illusions. And that's from Jim. Jim, I'm, I'm not denying the accuracy of your criticism of parts of the system. But do remember that in the last budget, the government had so much spare money, they effectively put several billion euro in not one but two rainy day funds. Another listener says population density in Ireland is irrelevant to the discussion when we haven't got adequate housing. Somebody else says we export most of our 25 and 30 year old graduates to Australia, turns out, according to figures yesterday, while importing all and sundry with little to offer the country besides expensive welfare. Migrants more likely to work than Irish people. Said it yesterday. Say it again. I'll say it every day. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.